I'm a big believer that by your freshman year of high school, and I know you guys have kids that are right there, you should be very transparent on what's there for college. Because I see both sides of this every single year. I see these kids that had no concept of what their parents saved or what they were going to pay. And they ended up applying to all private schools. And then they're like, how do I pay for this? It literally turns into this terrible thing in the spring, right before they're supposed to go. And they're trying to figure out how to pay because there was no money conversations about college. On the flip side, I love having college conversations, even if there is no money, because now you're giving your freshmen a chance to like apply for scholarships or to think more critically about their college options, whether that is community college. And it sets expectations well, because I think we all know talking to teenagers, the biggest like disconnect in their mind is if they had this expectation and then all of a sudden it's not met. Hey, core parents and caregivers, welcome back to the How to Teach Your Kids About Money podcast by your friends here at Sense of Responsibility. As you probably already know, I'm Alec Lindenauer, and our entire mission here at CORE is to help you, the parent or caregiver, with the tools you need to raise your child into a money-savvy adult, even if you don't know much about finance yourself. In today's episode, you're going to hear me introduce Julie to Robert Farrington the founder and editor-in-chief of The College Investor, an amazing personal finance resource. Julie and I were fortunate enough to share almost an hour with Robert, not just about the vast library of helpful information that he's curated, but about the inner workings of his family and the way he teaches his own kids about money. One of the highlights for me personally is the advice Robert shares as Julie and I continue to transition our kids from the cash-only days of elementary school to the digital payment solutions of middle and high school. From debit cards to Apple Pay, you're gonna hear Robert cover all of them. Another highlight for me is hearing Robert's take on when to begin talking to your kid about the resources they will have or won't have available to them for college when the time comes, and of course, if the time comes. And of course, I always like hearing what's going on at our experts' kitchen table with regards to teaching their own kids about money, and I expect you will too. Lastly, I love Robert's answer as to what advice he has for the parent who has not yet started teaching their children about money. That's the last question of the episode, so make sure you stick around for it. Before we kick off our 18th episode, know that the best place to start or improve your money teaching journey at your own kitchen table is on our website at www.senseofresponsibility.com slash resources. And of course, we spell sense, C-E-N-T-S. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and check out the How to Teach Your Kids About Money K-7 through Starter Toolkit, where I personally hold your hand as you institute an easy but effective money teaching routine for your kids in your own home. Lastly, just a friendly reminder that no part of this episode should be construed as investment advice or investment recommendations. That's somebody else's podcast, and that's for another day. We're here to focus on becoming a great money teacher at your table not on individual investments. So with that, teach sensibly, and here's Lucky 18. All right, well, welcome back, everybody, to How to Teach Your Kids About Money. Julie, I always like to introduce you to new people. You know that, right? Yes, and I love it too. Well, today I'm going to introduce you to Robert Farrington. So Robert is the father of an eight-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. 
And that's the easy part of the introduction because Robert, it gets it gets complicated from here. You do so much. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna need some some help. So you are the founder and the editor in chief of the college investor. And I, if I had to like try and boil that down, I'm going to attempt and then ask you to go into it more. Is I looked at it and I said, okay, this is basically this online resource center, which is that's website, that's podcast, that's video library. And I did pull one quote that says, the college investor is designed to be the number one tool to help you get out of student loan debt, learn how to earn more money, understand how to start investing, also you can build real wealth, which that's a big mission statement. So start there. Like, I mean, how do you even deliver on that? And welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, I'm the unintentional financial planner because I started really on half of that battle, right? I wanted to build wealth. I loved earning more money. And honestly, what teenager doesn't love earning more money? Right. But then when I graduated college, I started encountering my own stumbling blocks of student loans and different things. And I really wanted to help people overcome those so that we can get to the fun part, which is building wealth. Like to me, that, that's what we all want to get to. Um, I like to teach people how to do it. And so let's overcome those hurdles. Let's do it the right way. And, and now that we're older, we talk a lot about, you know, what do we teach our kids so that they can get off to the right start? avoid some of the student loan stuff, you know, pay for college smart and, you know, manage their money well so that we're arming the next generation. So hopefully they don't have to read The College Investor, <laughs> right? So what, why is that your core? It, so student loan debt, I mean, that's the core today or that's where it started and it's expanded or both? Yeah, that's where it started. It honestly actually started a lot about investing and side hustles and taking extra money from your side hustle, start investing it. Because um, I started investing in my teens. I don't know if you remember like share a sale and some of this stuff, uh, these old brokerage firms. And I, I love doing that. I love getting started early. But then, like I said, I didn't know anything about paying for college and student loans. And then I started having to deal with that, started writing a lot about that. And that really resonated with people because people really said, hey, I, I really want to build wealth. I really want to invest, but I have student loans and I have all this other stuff going on. Like, how can we get there? And so this was a decade ago before you even saw the news and the student loan crisis and things. And I saw all these problems way back then. And we started talking a lot about it. And that really helped grow our business. And, you know, as we've grown, we continue to touch on the basics of personal finance and the basics of investing and, you know, how you can just get started. And then, you know, our generation started having kids. And then it's like, how do you save for kids and balance, you know, saving for college and teaching them? And so here we are today. The business kind of really just follows what I've been doing for the last decade plus. And, you know, we continue to talk about it across it. We have a pretty good team that handles a lot of it. But yeah, it's it's fun. So at eight and five, how are you already teaching your kids about money? Do you talk to them about student loans? Uh, you know, my older one, yeah, absolutely. He He's really interested in, in the business and kind of what I do. So he's right there since I talk a lot about it. I think he has a pretty good understanding of it. But one of our mindsets has really been I have like really two value sets is, you know, I want my kids to be great people, like nice people, caring people, and I want them to be good with money. If they can master those two things, like they will be so successful in life. Doesn't matter if you go to college, don't go to college, what your job is. If you can do those two things, you'll be solid. 
And so, you know, from a young age, we've been teaching them how to earn money, what a savings account is. You know, now it's also like how they're using that money. What do they want to buy for themselves? My son's big in like Pokemon, flipping Pokemon cards, you know, making his own money. So it's really fun to watch and see. So Julie, I have to admit, I haven't talked to my kids about borrowing for college. We have college savings accounts and we've talked about that, but we just haven't really gone there. Have you? We haven't talked about college loans or anything. You know, we do, We of course, we've started talking about college and I've made it very clear that I am okay with them going to the community college, which is free for two years. Um, and so they do recognize that there is a cost to college and that if they want to go to college, I'm also okay with that, but it's going to be money and time well spent. I'm not sending anybody off to college who's not really sure why they're there or what they're doing or what their purpose is there. So we've started those conversations tying it into money, but not not too deep. We do have the the plan for both of them, which luckily one set of grandparents is funding through every holiday and birthday. You know, the kids open up their birthday cards and it's like, oh, $250 to college. And I'm like, yes. Right. <laughs> like, they're they're like Waymo and you're, yeah, wow. Yeah, I'm like, that's the best <laughs> gift ever. So yeah, they, they're getting a lot of uh, money from grandparents that way for gifts. But, you know, the conversation started, but kind of in, in that in that realm. So Robert, what advice would you give to parents how to begin that conversation? Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear you're having it because I'm a big believer that by your freshman year of high school, and I know you guys have kids that are right there, you should be very transparent on what's there for college. Because I see both sides of this every single year. I see these kids that had no con concept of what their parents saved or what they were going to pay. And they ended up applying to all private schools. And then they're like, how do I pay for this? And they're like, it, it literally turns into this terrible thing in the spring, right before they're supposed to go. And they're trying to figure out how to pay because there was no money conversations about college. On the flip side, I love having college conversations, even if there is no money, because now you're giving your freshmen a chance to like apply for scholarships or to think more critically about their college options, whether that is community college. And it sets expectations well, because I think we all know talking to teenagers, the biggest like disconnect in their mind is if they had this expectation and then all of a sudden it's not met. So it's like if you can really start laying that foundation a couple years before the college application process and everything, um, it goes a long way to being there. And so again, it goes back to transparency. I think as your kids get older, continuing to be transparent with your finances. Uh, and I'm a big believer in that, and especially in high school. And then as you get older, I mean, the transparency just has to continue. Because I tell a lot of families, and Alec, you probably see this too, you know, if you're going to find out now or you're going to find out later, <laughs> Like, there's actually no getting out of it. So, like, have these conversations and, you know, be transparent with your children because it makes things so much easier. All right. So, let's scare people a little bit, <laughs> right? Let's do so, it. T tell us what happens when people accumulate debt. What have you seen out there? So, they think, okay, you know, this is, I need to get ahead of this. Well, I think the bigger thing is it's not student loan debt directly. It's just that, you know, college is an investment. And I think everybody needs to treat it as such. 
And I, I put a little asterisk next to everybody because like if you're rolling in it and you got lots of money, you write that check, there's no debt involved. I'm like whatever. It's kind of like buying the fancy, you know, G-Wagon. If you want to buy a G-Wagon, buy the G-Wagon if you can afford it. But I highly don't think you should get a loan for that vehicle, right? And it's the same thing with college. So the bigger problem that we're seeing and the bigger discourse in America isn't necessarily about the student loans. It's about the fact that people cannot afford to pay them after graduation. And why is that? It's because they borrowed too much and now they are not earning enough to service that debt. And, you know, there's a lot of math in this world and you can figure it out. But like, let's just take the basic stats, right? The basic stats is you go to college and you will earn a million dollars more over your lifetime than someone that doesn't go to college. That, that's that's the stat. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that. And that's social security data. I'm from the Social Security Administration. And, you know, it varies a lot. Uh, sadly, women are lower end. Men actually make more. Uh, but you can take this data and you can see it. And then, of course, it's across your major and you can find all kinds of data out there now. We didn't have that when I went to college. Now this data is out there. But we can also do some net present value and say, okay, if I'm going to make a million dollars more over the next 45 years of my life, what's the value of that in today's dollars? And there is a ton of assumptions that go into that, right? Interest rates and stuff. If we're going to go to stats, high school statistics, like it's not easy to figure out. But, you know, we can kind of assume that it's about 80K. So if you start thinking about it, if you spend more than 80K on... I think you need to back that up and explain, give more for the layperson exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. So, you know, if you're thinking about an investment, an investment that's going to pay you a million dollars over 40 years, how much do you need to invest to make it like worth it? Right. And so there's a math equation called net present value. So, what's the value of $1 million in today? Like, if I was to think about it, and there's a lot of variables into it, but the net of it all is that college to make a million dollars is worth about $80,000 in, we're in 2023, 2023 dollars. So you can infer that if you spend more than $80,000 on college, and this is in aggregates over four years, college is not going to have a positive return for you because you spent more than the money, then you're going to earn it back over the rest of your life. And if you spend less than $80,000, it's a positive investment. And of course, the lower amount you spend, let's just say you spend $20,000, but it's probably a pretty good investment for you to make that million dollars over your career. And so, you know, there's definitely this range here. And so then when it ties into the student loan debt equation, when you borrowed $100,000 to make this, it's going to be a struggle for you financially to pay it back. And this is just the stats. There's always people that, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're outside the norm. Like they're, you know, they're, the stat is the 50% mark, right? So 50% of people are doing better than this. 50% of people are doing worse than this, but it's a really good reference point to think about in terms of is college worth it? How much should I spend to make it worth it? And this all goes back into what we should be educating our kids about, because I do think a lot of families today still say college at all costs, no matter what. And I think that's a really bad mantra, especially for impressionable teenagers that are feeling judged. They're like, my parents are going to think terribly of me if I don't go to school. Or what does grandma think if I don't go? Or, you know, my friend's parents and my family cohort, like everybody, they're going to judge me if I don't do these things. And so again, if we're setting these expectations, we're having these conversations on the value of college, hopefully these young adults 
can overcome that psychological barrier, think more critically about the value of college, um, and make good choices. I still think college is very valuable. The data says it's very valuable. But what's not valuable is spending $100,000 to go make $50,000 a year after graduation. It's never going to be worth it. All right. Well, Julie, first two years free. You're ahead of the game right there. And that's fantastic. And there's a lot of programs like that. I love that. Well, John wants to be a firefighter, which I love that. You know, I think that starting that conversation of like, there's nothing wrong with you if you go to community college. Because I do think that what you were saying is that mantra is like, this is a great plan. If it's not this and it's something else, that's okay too. Like I said, get as good of grades as you can, do high school to your best ability, fullest potential. So you have all the options in the world. And then we can make those decisions, you know, come your senior year. But, but building up that, that knowledge that there are a lot of options and there is nothing wrong with you. If you go into a trade, you go into community college, you go to college, you don't go to college. It's all good. Let's just keep our options open. Well, and I think too that, you know, having role models that are financially successful outside of college has become harder to find. But like firefighters, for example, like that path, like you can retire at 50. Totally. Um, with an amazing retirement plan. You could be making well into the mid, you know, six figures by the time you're like, after you've done it for a few years. Like, I don't think people realize that there's financial success outside of going to college. And I think we do our young adults a disservice to show, not show them that there's other paths out there, whether that's the trades or, you know, careers in public safety or different things that, you know, there's a lot of financial success that you're not seeing. It's That's not just like Tesla and Amazon and whatever other tech thing is out there in the world, right? We have a great role model who's, you know, retired, like you said, in his 50s. He was the fire chief of Carlsbad. He has a beautiful home in San Jose del Cabo and another one in Carlsbad. And he is living the life doing something that he loved doing. And so just using him as that role model, like there is success to be had and you you can take your own path and, and follow that. Just do your, you know, do your best and follow your heart and you'll get there. And interestingly, you just laid out how not only is there nothing wrong with it, sometimes it is the smarter decision. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, seeing these kids at 22 that are in a negative $80,000 net worth versus someone that went to be an apprentice as an electrician that had all of their training paid for and is Mm -hmm. now making 70K a year and is being able to stash some cash, putting those two side by side, you know, goes a long way. Now, I will say on the flip side, we don't always educate these young adults on how to handle their money well. So it takes them a few years of getting good money in their 20s before they're like, whoa, maybe I should do something a little better than you know spending it all. But hey, at least there's opportunity there. And that's what I hope we can get our message out is how we can educate them so that they can retire at 50. All right, Robert, tell us what's going on in your house. Five and eight, you're, you're having money conversations. Something tells me you're not just reactive though, that you've got some sort of proactive process in place. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of the basics. Uh, We touched on college savings accounts earlier. We do the same. We have uh, 529 plans for both children and they get a lot of gifts into those. We actually ask our family to not give toys and stuff anymore. It really just turned into a mess of stuff we didn't need a lot of junk, a lot of returns. And we're like, hey, like, you know, I'm not asking you, if you don't want to give, don't give. But like, if you were going to spend a hundred bucks at Target or Walmart buying junk, that just 
doesn't get used, like why don't you take that same hundred bucks and put it into their college savings account? Like it'll go a lot long, like better for everybody involved. And our family really resonated with that and started doing that. And then our children have uh, a checking account, a savings account, both of them, five and eight year old. And when they get gifts that aren't going to their college fund or when they have some income that they've earned through chores or we do things like recycling, different things like that, you know, we teach them like you should save some of this money, but you can also, you know, use some of this for spending. My daughter likes to buy, you know, doll stuff and my son dies Pokemon cards. And, you know, once they've saved up enough, like, you know, they want to ask us to go to the, the local card shops and stuff and spend it. And we're happy to, but we try to teach them to be kind of intentional with their money and how it works. And we show them their savings account and we show them what's in their 529 and we show them what's in their checking account. So they always kind of know what's there for them and where they stand. So are they pretty digital then? So you're not really dealing much with actual hard cash? We still deal a lot with hard cash. You know, we try to keep some of that around because it's easier, especially for the younger one. But I mean, their bank accounts are digital. Honestly, we just went and deposited uh, some money from birthdays this summer at the bank. And our kids actually love going to the bank. They're like, I love going to the bank. And granted, (laughs) yes, our bank has like cookies in the lobby and stuff. So I'm sure that plays a role into it, but they really enjoy it. The tellers, I think, it's probably one of the highlights of their day is dealing with some kids that are excited versus everybody else that comes through. So usually the tellers make a good time of it too. And it, it becomes an enjoyable thing. We probably go once or twice a year to make a deposit there. And do you give them allowance? You know, we don't, but we do give them some chores to do because we don't really want to tie chores to money. But we also give them things they can do for money. So one of the big ones in our household is recycling. And they have to crush the cans, the bottles. They actually do it for their grandma too. And then we go and they handle it all at the recycling center, which for us is right down the way that we walk there as a family and they do all the work for it, sign the paperwork, get their money, things like that. So I want them to learn that you put in the work you can earn some money. And my son now is at a point where, like I said, he loves the Pokemon cards, but he also has realized that he can sell the Pokemon cards. So I help him sell stuff on eBay. I mean, he's a big fan of that, but he'll research it. He'll see what cards are worth, what he wants to sell. He'll help take the pictures. And I just kind of do the administrative part. But he also knows how to pack and ship now. So like once it sells, like he goes there, pack it up, gets understands how that process works. So that, is that helps him earn some money too. That is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Julie's big environmentalist and gets out there and does the beach cleanups and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We we have uh, had our fair share of different ways of earning money. Our kids are hustlers in their own right. They always have something going on. But oh man, I wish I knew you six months ago. We had this giant bag of Pokemon cards and I was like, can somebody figure out if any of these are worth anything? I'm sure they are. Like something's got to be in here and no one would do the work. And so I think at a garage sale, I sold a whole bag <laughs> for like $15 or something. Someone you know, got I mean, a deal. Someone got a deal. Somebody's probably a millionaire. <laughs> Somebody's retiring at 50. Yeah. I mean, we have just given away so many things that could have been valuable of like, you know, collections of Barbies and just, I don't know, different collectible things that our kids have had in the past. And they're, they're just lazy when it comes to doing the work that your kid is doing. So I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard. I mean, it, let's say it's not easy to get them to do the work, 
But then, you know, they also want to get other things. They want to spend their money. So then, you know, it's like, it's really easy to kind of tie two and two together that says like, hey, you can, but you got to earn a little bit here. And even my daughter at five, she recently sold like an old Barbie house or something. I helped her on Facebook and Uh same thing. And it was really fun. The person came, gave her like five bucks for it and stuff. And, but just trying to teach them that like, you know, you can buy stuff, it costs something, but you can also sell stuff, get some money back in. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it's just a really good mindset to have in general. And I still do it today for just anything too. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter's really into clothes. So she has found a place where she can sell her clothes, you know, and then use the credit and buy new clothes. And it's like a, a very upscale, well, it's called upscale cheapskate. It's an upscale you know, secondhand store. So it's all the good brands. And so, yeah, she's kind of in that moment of, of figuring out how much she needs to, to sell, to get what she wants and same kind of thing. I mean, that's one of my favorite side hustles. Love that. And, but you know, now you got to tell her, you know, go to like things like Poshmark and you go to that we same have. store no, we do. and then you yep. resell <laughs> what you buy there online and make even more money, you know? Oh, so, big time hustling. Big time. Yeah. And then she can start going <laughs> the next level, right? Yeah. We haven't really figured out the, the formula to get Poshmark to work for us. We have some good stuff up there, but I think it's, you know, you got to like work it. You got to make friends yeah. and network and showcase. And sure. I, we just, we aren't there yet, but we're trying. <laughs> So what are some of the better kid hustles that you've seen, Robert? I think it's all on your kids and and what you want to do. Because let's face it, you know, especially for younger kids. (laughs) That's a good point. It's not just what they want to do. You got to do it. So I love the online stuff. I love selling stuff. You know, our kids have done lemonade stands, shaved ice stands, things like that, I think are great. Um, some more of the in, like ingenious ones I've seen even go to like selling cold beverages at like different events. Or um, I saw this one the other day, there was an open house nearby and the neighbors of the open house, I mean, we know the real estate market's crazy. So there's a lot of people there. They just set up and we're selling like Diet Cokes and waters right next to everyone coming out of the open house. So it's like capitalize on your market. Um, but I really like anything where the kids can interact with people, sell stuff to people, Things like that, I think, go a long way, not just on the money side, but like teaching them like, you know, the yep, basics of skills, like how it... People exactly. skills. Yes, absolutely. Customer service just in general. Exactly. Being a nice human. It teaches them to be a nice human. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> All right. So, Robert, so here's where Julie and I need some help. We need some guidance from you. So, as I was explaining, between the two of us, there's four kids, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th. And we have a toolkit on senseofresponsibility.com and it is a K through seven starter kit. It's for parents. So it's this video-based course and we give the parents all the tools they need where they sit down. So starting as, as young as kindergarten, where it is implementing a money routine. So it's a monthly strategic conversation that they have. What do you say? How do you say it? When your child has money, whether you're paying for chores, not paying for chores, however they have money in their hand, however they now have ownership of money, they're going to divvy it up between spend, save, invest, and donate. So they make those decisions. And then you have constructive conversations over the course of the rest of the month. There's also a a healthy borrowing component also, which is basically, okay, well, if you're out with mom and dad and you need money, you don't have a wallet, you're going to have to borrow. So a way to sort of track that and and create those good habits of, of paying back, right? But all of that is cash-based, 
right? So my kin- the kindergartner, like you said, your five-year-old is not running around with a, with a debit card or with Apple Pay. So it's all really cash-based. So now as they, and the reason that that course actually stops through seventh is, okay, we need to institute one, digital solutions, and two, that's where your investment conversation potentially would change. And so we're working on that, that second toolkit, right? So I'll just kind of put a bookmark on that for, for a minute. One of the reasons I really love that, aside from the fact that it works, is that I've always said that if you want to teach your child the value of a dollar, well, what does it look like when someone values a dollar? It looks like them having a dollar, giving it to somebody for something they value. That trade is the valuing of a dollar. So I want them to do that. So here we are now with the kids in, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th. Well, it's not practical to be, you know, cash-based anymore. And so I'd love to tell you, you know, kind of where I am, Julie's where she is. And there's, because there's so many tools out there. And frankly, I don't think I'm using the best tool. And I need to work on the toolkit for, okay, what is the senior in high school? Because I don't have a senior in high school yet. So I'm not making that toolkit. Um, but the these ideas, these the Go Henrys of the world, the green light, green light seems to be gaining a lot of popularity. FamZoo, you know, Apple Pay, Google Pay, like all of this stuff. So what I'm doing basically is I'm still having that once a month meeting and we sit down and the the elements that I've added is I'm saying, okay, well, here's your your investments. Let's just talk about them for 10 minutes. So they get in that good habit. And then instead of them divvying the cash into, let's say, their spend bucket, they're actually handing me back that cash and I'm putting it on a on a simple debit card. So we're not using any of the fancy ones. We're just using the free one through through our bank. So that's kind of how where where I am. And again, love to tell you, you know, have Julie tell you where she is so then we could learn the differences between these different um, opportunities, these these different products out there. I do what you do, Alec. I follow in Alec's well, footsteps. That was easy. That was short. <laughs> I'm like, what do you do? That's what I'm doing. Okay. I don't do it as well. And I am not as thorough. And our meetings do not take very long. But I try my best to just <laughs> follow the leader. <laughs> All right. And now, with that, though, we did talk about last time we talked about, or a couple of episodes anyway, Julie, that because John so often loses or forgets to bring cash with him that instituting Apple Pay so that... It didn't work. Didn't work. Okay. So there we no, are, Robert. We are... No, <laughs> not because it didn't work for us. It it literally didn't work. Like I couldn't get Apple Pay on his phone from his debit card because it's a kid's debit card. There's like weird things connecting to Venmo, Apple Pay, because it's, it's a kid's account through our account. Anyways just tit for tat. It's, it doesn't work. So we're back to square one. And he's, you know, he's calling me, he's calling me on a daily basis, like $20. I'm hungry. I'm like, oh, (laughs) because he forgot his cash. No, because he eats and eats and eats and eats and eats. (laughs) And I can't keep up. (laughs) So that's where we're at. All right. Help, help Robert. So the hard part is, is they're at this age now where one solution doesn't fit everybody. And I think this is the problem that we also see as adults, especially for like the high schoolers, is that personal finance is personal and everybody has their own style. And this is where budgeting doesn't set in with adults. And this is because we always try to get kids and and adults to conform to one method. (laughs) And I think as we know, 
especially in the personal finance world, that is where it breaks down. I'm an app person. You can give me any of these apps and I would be happy all day long and I could just plug away and do my Apple Pay thing and it's not a big deal. But there's a lot of people that aren't. There are people that are spreadsheet people. There are people that want the pen and paper. There are people that need to have the cash in hand because that's how their mind and their personality functions. And so... First, before we even dive into the tools, I think uh, this is a good moment, especially for the older high schoolers, to be introspective about how they handle themselves. Do are are they a note takers that they want to have the notebook with a pen and paper, or are they a digital note taker? Like, is that how they do? They have a planner, or do they have a digital calendar? Like, what tools are they naturally using because they're comfortable with? And then let's try to align our money tools that better fit their own personality because that's literally going to be the only way they stick with it. But that being said, we can't avoid all these online tools. So for most people, I think starting with your bank is the way to go. There's a lot of cool apps out there. Greenlight you mentioned and Copper and Famzu. I hate fees. Yeah, that's why I didn't do Greenlight to begin with. I was like, how much is it? It's like one to five, maybe 10 bucks now if you get like the max plan. Per um, month, and it just right? Keep, per month, and it just keeps going up. So I hate fees. <laughs> and I will preface that out there that, you know, certain tools do have a purpose. But if you are a banked family, and what I mean by that is that you have bank accounts right now, of your bank will offer you a kid's account with a kid's debit card and you can start doing that. Now, granted, you do run into issues like what Julie said, where sometimes they don't allow you to do Apple Pay, especially at like certain credit unions and different things. But I believe most of the major banks do. You know, so keep that in mind. Uh, so that's not necessarily an Apple thing. That might be whatever the institution banks, you're using. The, the institutions thing about how they allow you to connect to Apple Pay and stuff. Well, Robbie's Robbie's great idea with that one was, well, I can just connect it with my account. Robbie said that. I was like, oh, goodness. No, no, no. <laughs> I'll have 87 meatballs, <laughs> please. We're not doing that. It's either his account or nothing because his tool is, here's my guard. I'm hungry. Where's the money? That's it. There's no other <laughs> tools being used. So keep keep going, Robert. I am uh, I'm w- listening no, with bated breath. No, I think it's it's great. So, you know, having that and having that card and seeing what tools they use. And then the question becomes, like you said, how do you get the money to them? So why do I like your own bank is because you can literally go on your online banking app, you transfer the money, it's in their account. It's very easy. A lot of these tools do offer things like Zelle and Apple Pay and whatnot, and you can transfer. But even then, it might not be instantaneous. It might take a couple of days, like a normal ACH can kind of be tedious, especially when your kid's like, nah, I need my money now because I'm waiting in line at the restaurant exactly. and like Daily. all my friends are staring at me because I can't Literally every day. <laughs> right? Every day. But I, I think that's a good lesson too for them. Like, sorry, right, plan, like, ahead. You, plan ahead. Yeah. You need to budget. You need to do better. Um, but I also like having their own bank account with a checking account specifically because inevitably they will overdraft it. And I really, it's like a bad thing to say, but I love it when a kid gets rejected, like a transaction's decline. Oh yeah, we're all about that. Feel the pain. They need need to feel, they need to be a target and swipe that card and it doesn't go through. And like, they get a little embarrassment and like, it's a little awkward. And they're like, I guess I got to put this stuff back. Like, it's good for them to understand these things. And that's where it's like, I'm a big like bank person. Like, just use your bank account. If you're not happy with your bank, 
you know, find a bank that offers, um, you know, more robust options that sh- shouldn't charge a fee. They shouldn't have monthly payments. Uh, most of the major banks, you know, even if they do have minimums, they usually waive them on uh, children's accounts. Um, so a lot of the national banks that we think about, um, you can get those fees waived or they won't have them for young, uh, under 18. So there's options out there. Your bank's the best one. But if you're an unbanked individual, using an online tool like Greenlight, things like that can really be helpful. But again, it's like you run into the constant challenge that we face of unbanked individuals is that fees really become a problem. Um, so if you're unbanked, try to find a way to get into a bank so that you can not have to pay as much every single month. Yep. Interesting. I, you said one that I had never heard of. Did you say copper, chipper? Copper. Copper, copper is a, it's an online kids checking account too. Uh, it gets a lot of good reviews. You know, there's there's a bunch of them out there, and they, you know, Copper MPH is another one. Make people happy, bank. You know, a lot of them have the major ones have them. Chase Bank of America. You know, and then honestly, Fidelity has a great one for teens as well. So, like, I would say if Fidelity is where you know a lot of people are moving to Fidelity for all their banking needs as a whole, with their cash management accounts, um, and then they have a youth account there that allows you to both spend. And you can also start investing. It acts like a custodial account, but it has a lot of the spend features that you'd expect in like a green light, things like that, which are really cool because you can kind of do a combo with both at one one. I like that. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past. Like we have our bank and then we have our investment firm that we use as adults. And then the kids have been using Stockpile, which it's a good starter and it's a good tool that they can look at on their phone and their app and stuff. But I, I, I've been kind of wanting to find that one-stop shop where we could tie that into the kids' accounts and, and have it be. Yeah. So I think Fidelity kind of is, is pushing that way quite a bit with their youth awesome. account. Um, I think you have to be 13 though. So it might not work for the littlest one. We're there. Uh, We're there. You're there. Okay. But yeah. Uh, and Alex you there. Know, you got, you got to be a teenager um, to get that. And it, it really works well. And then as an adult, if Fidelity is there and you're connected, you could easily transfer that as well. But again, a stockpile is charging monthly fees now too. Exactly. And it's like That's all the these problem. places. And it's like, you don't have to pay the monthly fees, especially when you're a kid and you got like 200 bucks in there. And it's like, you're charging me $300 a month and I only have $200 in here. This is ridiculous, right? Yeah, exactly. So... We had a, a, a close friend and they had a family event and we said, wow, I didn't know this, but Stockpile, you can actually give a gift certificate for the child to go and pick a stock. And I was like, wow, it's what cool, a wonderful yeah. thing. Yeah, right. So cool. So we did that. I think it was, you know, it's like $200 and, and they were so happy and the kid was happy and he was like, oh my God, you know, and they went on, they made it a big event, just like I was hoping that they would do. So I'm walking the dog a few months later and I was like, oh, well, you know, how's it going? It's like, well, you know, it turns out they actually take out like $6 a month. And so we're, we're losing, you know, money by the month. And I was like, I felt terrible. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you got to get that out of there. We're like, well, they don't make it so easy to transfer. No, like, this not they be don't. Called stockpile. It should be called money take or something like that. <laughs> money oh, grab. terrible. And then like, but like, I think that's great. Like this idea of investing. So one of the things we've been seeing a lot in birthday parties too, is kind of like what we said in our family is giving to a 529 plan. So it's like in lieu of gifts, you know, please donate to their 529 plan. And there's apps out there and even like California scholar share, but there's ones out there where you can get like a custom URL. It deposits the money into their account and there's no fees for this. 
529 plans, you know, have their own pros and cons depending on your state. But in general, it's a, a pretty easy way to give and it's an investment. And, you know, so there's that too. So I just want to back up to the, you know, the kids and the cards and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. I'm curious with you specifically, because you said your kids are saving up, but you're you're not necessarily keeping a cash hoard. And you're also not using a green light or something like that where it divvies things up. So let's say your son is saving up for Pokemon cards. How does that physically happen in, in your house? How is that segregated when they say, oh, I have this thing I want to buy versus this is my spending money or versus I have this other thing I also want to save for also? So we're not cashless. They definitely do have their cash, whether that's from recycling and things like that. And so that does accumulate and they have a little bit in their room. And then, you know, they can use some of that. And we talk about, are you going to set some aside for savings? Are you going to spend this? Um, And then like birthdays come and they get a little more. Some of it goes directly into their bank, but a lot of it comes in a check or cash. And so then we talk about it. What do you want to save? What are you going to invest? And we always push them to try to like at least get a good 50 to 80% of that into savings and like have these conversations as to why. It's a lot easier to tell my daughter like, you're going to put 80% away and you're going to keep 20, you know, but like my son now is like, well, why? Like, you know, questions a little bit more, but try to instill these habits. And then, you know, we do go to the bank and it either goes into the checking account or the savings account, but we usually do have a lot of cash. So in general, like the days have cash, but like for bigger things, it's in their savings account. And my son does have his own debit card for his checking account. My daughter does too. She just doesn't keep it with her. We have it in a drawer. But like my son actually has his. I mean, he does use it from time to time, very seldomly still. But I think that's growing and, you know, it's going to be more and more prevalent as he gets older. So I'm curious how having kids and talking to them about money, how that's changed the college investor. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, it's really just like, how do we have people avoid what I used to see a lot, which is how we're buried in student loan debt, we haven't built any wealth and whatnot, and now we're having children. And so it's really fun because it's not really fun for the parents that are dealing with it, but it's like they're trying to do better for their children, which I think we all aspire to do. And so I love having these conversations about money and how we're going to raise our kids, be transparent, even with your struggles. Like, I think it's I think it's good for kids to realize like you don't want to traumatize them, but especially as they're older, like, hey, I have not been able to save for college for you, but like, I am here to help you apply for scholarships or walk you through the FAFSA or do these processes. Like, I think those are good conversations to have so they can understand money across the board. What do bills look like? Paying the bills? Like, how do you keep organized? Like, I'm sure your children are like, what are you on your phone for? Oh, I'm updating my personal capital or whatever your app is and like kind of showing them what it is. And I'm sure your kids, like I will get in a routine with my children of like checking their banking apps every day. Like, you know, like this whole thing of like a debit card thing shouldn't be a surprise. You're on your phone all the time anyways. Like that should be one of the apps you open regularly, see what's in the account, know what you have, know what you own, that type of thing. Cassidy always knows what she has in her bank account. And you could, I mean, you could ask her anytime, exactly what is in your spend. And John, John for uh, probably a month or two, has no idea how to even log in. He's forgotten his credentials. And so he's texting me all the time and I'm getting mad and I'm telling him I'm not going to do it anymore. But of course, the next day I 
do the same thing. And, you know, and I'm always like, how are we going to fix this in this monthly meeting? And when it's core day, like, how am I going to, you know, it, and we, we often talk about just how different your kids are, right? Like no matter what the age, they're just so different. And the way that you handle each kid and their money and their process is so different. John, you know, has the tendency to want to invest and save and donate all of his money, but yet every day he needs $20 for something. And I'm like, this isn't working. Like what you think you want is not, it's not working. And Cassidy, you know, she's a spender and she knows that about herself. So she doesn't want to invest too much or she couldn't care less about investing. So with her, I'm more focused on, okay, let's, you know, start teaching the compounding interest and the why we donate. And so, you know, as you're talking about these different things, I'm just kind of like picking apart the pieces of like, how could I grab onto that and teach John better in this way or, you know, but checking your, checking your account is a great idea. It's something we do. You know, I wish John would well, and I just, I just that know we do these that. Ki- I know the kids. I know every, every kid today is on their phone all the time. Like it's, it's on them. It's literally there. Like you can put the app on it and figure it out if you want to. And so that's where it's like, they need to want to, whether it's because they want to know what to be able to spend or how much they have. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, if you do something with investments, it's like they can see it grow. And hopefully that gives them some positive reinforcement and they can check it. And that's the harder one because like, you know, the stock market goes up, it goes down. It's a long-term game. Um, 10% return is phenomenal. But when you only have 200 bucks, it doesn't feel great. No, but that's the funny thing about John is he probably does know exactly what's in stockpile every day, but he has no idea what's in his checking account. And it's usually 83 cents. And that kid is so used to going to pay for things and being declined. It's like part of his MO now. Like it's just, <laughs> right, we, we you definitely know, have to flip kids. that around. He needs to check the everyday checking account and the every week or whatever it is on the stockpile. I am working right. on it. I know kids are hard. They just are. <laughs> yes, that's that is the summary. Kids are hard. That's the summary. Yes. <laughs> You're in for it, Robert. <laughs> oh, I get it. There's no one size fits all for sure. And that's where it's hard too, because I do think it needs to start being personalized for every kid. I mean, when you're asking apps and tools and whatnot, everyone's got their own style and it's hard to really navigate it perfectly. I mean, there's a lot of trial and error. I mean, most adults, we don't figure it out. And then there's seasons of life. You know, this might be your struggle today. And then, a, you know, a switch flips in five years and then there's something else that happens. And, it, you know, it's you got to always adapt, right? Totally. Actually, And Julie and I often talk about this. You know, we have this toolkit and here's this great thing and you do this every month that... But at the end of the day, the best way to teach your kids about money is the way you can do it in your house consistently. <laughs> like, yeah. If you do that and you do half of it, great. You do a quarter of it, great. You do all of it, whatever it is. As long as you're doing it consistently, you are, you are so ahead of the game. Like, Keep up the good work. Exactly. Yeah. So, Robert, where do our listeners go if they want to learn more about you and all the great things that you're doing? Absolutely. So you can find our main website at thecollegeinvestor.com. If you like to listen to podcasts, I'm sure you do. We're on your favorite podcast platform at The College Investor. And if you like video, same thing. We're on your favorite video platform at The College Investor. Perfect. And I always like to close with, okay, well, what words of wisdom would you give a parent who has not yet taken the plunge to start teaching their kid about money? You know, don't think about it as teaching. Think about it as like showing and just being open to what you're doing. So you're always doing something with money. You might not even realize you are. 
whether that is paying a bill or checking an online account, or maybe you still write a check. I don't know. You're probably doing something about money and your kid is probably somewhere around you. (laughs) Like, just make a note, show them, tell them, hey, you know, I'm paying a bill. You want to see, or this is it. And those small little conversations add up over time. And so, yes, it's nice. You can have sit down conversations. You can do all these little things, but the tiny stuff every single day also goes a very long way, especially if you've never started before and you don't know how to even bridge the conversation. Just show them what you're doing. I love it. Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this. I know I love it. Hey, thanks for having me. No, this is fun. It was great. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Remember the best place to start your sense of responsibility journey. If you haven't taken that plunge yet is senseofresponsibility.com slash resources. That's all the different tools for parents. And of course that's C-E-N-T-S because haha, I'm so clever. It can't be S-E-N-S-C, right? Sense. So um, the How to Teach Your Kids About Money podcast, check out the blog, all of the good stuff is on there and and smash that little subscribe button too. So teach sensibly everybody. Thanks so much, Robert. Thanks, Alec.